Uh, let me just, I need to take inventory for just a moment and give God some praise for his faithfulness, for his steadfast love. Because as I look around, I just realize uh, how much is going on in our world and in our lives. Uh, kids are back at school. We prayed about that. I, think, I feel like everybody in this room reached out to me to ask me how my daughter Karis is doing because Karis lives in Maui. Karis is safe. Thank you so much for asking and praying. That just touches my heart. She lives on the North Shore. She's fine. In fact, the farm where she lives is now hosting people displaced by the fires. So we are grateful for that opportunity uh, now to even serve and be a part of rebuilding. Uh, as I look around, I, I see Bob over here, and we continue to pray for Joy, who is in Africa serving. And as I look over to my right, our friend Avril is uh, here. Avril uh, has come down all the way from Canada uh, to uh, join us here. And this is just too cool not, not to mention. Avril is uh, leaving shortly for a trip uh, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. She's doing this, as I understand, kind of in connection with International Justice Mission. Jamie McIntosh was a part of that in Canada. Jamie McIntosh is now a part of the Christian Reformed uh, World Relief that our church is connected with. And I know Jamie quite well from our time in London. Um, I will simply say this, um, Avril is herself a widow, tragically lost our friend Josh uh, several years ago, right, right before COVID. And she's doing this because the situation of widows, as difficult as it is for any woman, um, is so much more in Africa and other third world nations. So your mission just touches our heart. So please feel free to, I'm sure she'd love to tell you more about what she's doing and, uh, and uh, just a joy to have you here and worship with us. Okay, I won't say anything more about that. Uh, I look out here and I see Danny and I know that his daughter Adair is gonna have surgery this coming week. I think of Vi who already had hip surgery this past week. <sighs> I love it when the body of Christ can come together and we can share in our joys and also pray for one another in these needs and concerns. Um, and I was just wrecked during that worship set, but in the best of ways. <laughs> oh, and then we're gonna celebrate new life coming, uh, Glauber and Lila. Uh, is it a boy or a girl, do we know? A little boy, we're gonna welcome a little boy. Um, we're gonna celebrate that today after worship. Oh, God is good, amen, friends? God is good. Let me say a prayer just to center myself and then, uh, and then I'll buck up and we'll get on with preaching the word of God as God has called me to do. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all this love, all this mercy, all this grace poured out on us. Now give me all I stand in need of to deliver your word faithfully so that your people can be edified, encouraged, corrected, trained in further righteousness, equipping us with all that we stand in need of to do all you're calling us to do. And we know you are calling us to do, to be people of action, faith in action in our world. So Lord, in this day of Sabbath and rest and worship, fill us with all we stand in need of. Whew. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus, and all God's people say, amen, amen. If you look through the gospels, you will find that people are always amazed at Jesus. They are amazed at his teaching. They are amazed at his care and compassion. They are, of course, amazed at his miracles. But near as I can tell, only two things amazed Jesus. On one occasion, he was amazed at a group of people's lack of faith. We read in uh, the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus goes back to his hometown. And at first, everything seems to be going well in his ministry and his mission there. Um, but then sort of the turn happened. People started to say, wait, 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 wait. Isn't this uh, Joseph's 
son? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the brother of James and Joseph and Judas? And I believe it was, and Thomas and his sister. Did you, by the way, did anybody know that Jesus had that many siblings? Did you know that Jesus had a brother named Judas? I bet none of you did. Now you learn something, now you learn something. So um, he had a big family, he was a hometown boy. So all those hometown dynamics start to kick in. And it says, because of their lack of faith, he wasn't able to do any miracles. And then I love how Mark puts this, except he was able to lay hands on a few and heal them. I'm just gonna state right now that I'm gonna set the bar for my ministry to be the lowest common denominator for Jesus. If my ministry could be so <laughs> humbled that I could only lay hands on a few and heal you, I'm gonna aim for that moving forward from now on. But for Jesus, that was like the bottom <laughs> rung. And here's why, here's why he was limited. And, and this is fascinating, this is something to ponder because he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith, which is awful. And it hindered his ministry moving forward. And so he moved forward and went on to other towns that received him and heard the gospel and he's able to perform works and wonders. But then there's another occasion revealing the end. He is going to be amazed actually at a demonstration of faith. This story is told in a couple of the gospels, Matthew and in Luke, and a centurion, a Roman soldier, comes to Jesus. Now, this in itself is quite remarkable, that a man of this stature, of this prestige, of this position would come to Jesus. He comes to Jesus, and the people are all right with this because this man, we read, already had a reputation for not abusing his powers. So many of the centurions and so many of the tax collectors were apt to do. This man was not abusing his position. He had great favor in the community. The people kind of part the ways. He comes to Jesus and he introduces himself with this, Lord. Now, before we just dive into too much, I think we just need to unpack some of the details of the story because they bear relevance. Uh, he, he calls Jesus Lord. Now, remember, that in Rome, you gotta two, do two things to keep the peace. The first is pay your taxes. Pay your taxes and it will go well with you. And so many abuse their position of collecting taxes. But then there is another thing. You do this and it should go well with you. You can practice your religion. You can have your idols. You can do your sacrifices. You can do whatever you wanna do, except let's be clear on this one thing. Caesar is Lord. Practice religion, faith, spirituality, any way you want, but always remember, pay your taxes and Caesar is Lord. He was literally putting himself in jeopardy by declaring Jesus to be Lord. Well, that seems to have caught Jesus's attention. What he says then on the heels of that, I think really held then Jesus's attention because with that introduction, Lord, he comes with a request and it's not for himself which again is a beautiful thing in itself to reflect on. His request is for someone else. It says, Lord, I have a servant who is paralyzed and he is suffering. Oh, to go to Jesus with our prayers and petitions on behalf of others. Let that just be a model for all of us. Well, it strikes me that Jesus says exactly what you would want Jesus to say then in this situation, Lord, Jesus, I have a friend who's dearly suffering. And Jesus is like, say no more. Let's go to your house. Let's see what I can do. Jesus offers that. But this is where the story gets truly, truly remarkable. 
it would appear that this guy, this centurion, he's been watching Jesus and he's put some things together. Let me read to you what he puts together and what he next says to Jesus. He says, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. He's just kind of put two and two together reflecting on his own life's journey. He recognizes that it's, it's not because he wears a fancy uniform. It's not because he's so eloquent. <laughs> it's not because the people love him so much though they do seem to have a lot of respect for him. He's kind of put this together. It's what I represent. I represent Rome and Rome is the big power, you know, in, in, in the land and he kind of gets it. So when I talk, Rome is represented, it's Rome's authority and things just happen. And he's kind of made the connection then with Jesus. Jesus, it would appear to me that as remarkable as you are, there's something even more remarkable at play here. You represent something or someone even greater than yourself, even more than yourself. I don't know if he put all together that Jesus is the incarnate living God with us, but he said, I get it. You seem to be representing God and, and you say things, you, you lay on hands and people hear things happen. You must represent something beyond yourself. So I know there's power just in what you represent. So just say the word and I know what will happen. Here's Jesus's response then. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I imagine it's pretty hard to amaze Jesus. It's pretty hard to amaze the creator of all the universe. It's pretty hard to amaze the one who holds it all together by his sovereign hand. I imagine it's pretty hard to amaze the one who could lay on hands and heal the sick, give sight to the blind, uh, give legs to the lame, they could, they could raise the dead. I imagine it'd be pretty hard to amaze him with your singing voice, as beautiful as Kellen and the team sound. It'd be pretty hard to amaze God with your creative expressions to the creator of the universe. Not that there's anything wrong with us offering and celebrating, bringing all these things before God, but does it amaze God? No, he is the founder, the source, the, 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 the beginning of all these things. He doesn't seem to be amazed by those things. He doesn't even seem to be amazed by uh, our, our obedience. He, he's just asking you once obedience. What amazed Jesus on one situation was the lack, the collective lack of faith of a group of people. And what amazed him on this occasion was the faith of this centurion. Let's hold this in mind as we move through, pulling apart, diving deep now into this fruit, this characteristic of the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness. That there can be something to a group of people's collective lack of faith that can hold back, create sort of this wall, create this restraint from the full measure, from the full expression of the power 
of God at work amongst those people. Conversely to that, we might say, so perhaps it can be the collective building up and growing of faith and faithfulness that can release, that can invite, that can witness, that can begin to enjoy deeper expressions and manifestations of this faithfulness, this power, this work of God in our midst. That is something that thrills me. I also say it's something that scares me. And it's something that I want as your pastor for us to pray that we together can be a people of greater faith. Because if this one man's faith amazed Jesus, imagine what a whole church's faith like that could do. Let's just pull, though, on this thread of faith a little bit more as we walk throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus. Right on the heels of this declaration of amazing faith, Jesus and his disciples get on a boat, and they're on the boat, and the storm kicks up. But Jesus is getting some R&R. He's getting the rest and relaxation he needs. He's asleep, and all is fine in his world. And the disciples are just terrified, afraid for their very lives. They go down. They get Jesus. Uh, he goes up. He's going to calm the storm. But before he calms the storm, do you know what he says? Oh, you of little Oh, you, again, collectively seeing, oh, didn't even one of you have faith to know that we will not be undone by the storm for we are on God's plan and purpose and mission and there are things to be done. Oh, you of little faith. He lands on the shore, he's going about ministry and a group of friends bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. This is not the through the roof story, by, by the way. This is another group of friends bringing a friend who's paralyzed to Jesus. And Jesus says, when he saw there, at this point, I am inviting participation, by the way. I mean, I have to feel like I have to remind us of this every week. He witnessed their, their faith. He said, when he saw their faith, he declared, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's an interesting dynamic there. He knows what's going on. He says, you know, what's harder to say? Stand up and walk or your sins are forgiven. And he says, well, it's it's, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. There's no physical manifestation of that. That you might believe that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. And then he says, get up and walk. And the man does. But it all starts when he saw their faith. He then moves on in ministry from there. And another man comes running up to Jesus. This man's name is Jairus. And Jairus has a daughter who's either may, perhaps already dead or sick to the point of death. And he implores Jesus to come to heal his daughter. On the way, another situation arises. A woman who has suffered with an issue of bleeding for 12 years. And as awful as, I mean, just the situation for this woman, it's hard for us to imagine how, that, that she would be just considered ceremonially unclean. She could hardly leave her house. She could not be a part of the house of worship. She, she, I mean, her, her, her life was just in this limbo of suffering. And she has this idea, maybe if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, maybe the healing power that I've witnessed and heard of from this man could just come through to me and I could be healed. And she just sets this plan in motion and it happens. She does it. it, it she reaches out. She touches the hem of garment. She is healed. The, and, and then Jesus just stops. He recognizes something has happened. And he's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, everybody's touching you. And he's like, mm, this is different. <laughs> Somebody touched me with faith. Somebody reached out to me. Somebody took hold of me. Somebody just touched the hem of my garment with faith. 
and it's that faith that made all the difference. And so he kind of calls it out and I, I, it's just beautiful because this isn't him putting her on the spot to embarrass her. This is him putting her on the spot because he wants her to be fully released, not just from the issue, but from the social stigmatism that it carried. So she, she kind of comes forward and then she says, your faith, your faith has healed you. It's like he doesn't even take credit in this situation, which is kind of crazy. Your faith has healed you. And she is both healed and she is in a sense then socially released and set free from this bondage that she's been in. Well, on the heels of that, then these other people come running up and like, Jerry, your daughter's already dead. Don't bother the master. And Jesus is like, oh, it's, it's no bother. <laughs> it's no bother. And Jesus says, don't doubt, only believe. And Jesus goes and he raises Jairus' daughter. I mean, we, we, we have this centurion who demonstrates this faith that Jesus represents this authority that can heal. We have these friends that have this faith that Jesus can restore their loved one. We have, this, we have these disciples on a boat and their lack of faith just disappoints Jesus profoundly. We have this woman who recognizes perhaps in faith I can reach out and touch Jesus. We have this man who has faith that Jesus could maybe heal or even raise his daughter from the dead. And you can keep pulling on this thread of faith. We could talk about stories of the God of faith who makes suns stand still and who moves mountains, who, who conquers giants and defeats armies. We have this thread of faith people serving this faithful God. Amen, friends? It's this thread of faith that God demonstrates. It's this thread of faith that God is wanting to see woven into the story of our lives, living out, demonstrating, acting out as faithful followers of Christ Jesus. We do have this description of faith. Let's just give this definition. You've probably heard it before, and then let's unpack it a little bit more in our time together. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And on the heels of that, we know in verse uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, and basically, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Reflect on that this week. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I would hope that all of us would come to a place where we'd say, I want at some level my life to be pleasing to God. Well, we have an answer to that. You want to live a life pleasing to God? Start to live a life that puts faith in action. Start to live a life that demonstrates acts of faith, prayers of faith, living out the faith. This is what brings pleasure. This is what pleases. This is what honors. This is what glorifies God to become more and more this people that reflects God's own faithfulness. Let's talk about that for just a minute because again, our incentive, our encouragement, our living out a life of faithfulness needs to build upon, of course, the faithfulness of the God that we worship and that we serve. I love this one, uh, Lamentations. It's like one of those obscure books in the Bible. Uh, it, 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 you know, if you're ever going through suffering, hardship, hurt, uh, if you feel alone, read through Lamentations because you will realize, you know, you don't have to hide that stuff from God. But in the midst of the Lamentations, in the midst of calling out to God, the author just keeps throwing in these, these little gems, these, these little words about God and, and, and God's goodness. And this is what he says about faithfulness. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. 
Isn't that beautiful? Just the faithfulness of God that is new as every morning. As Wendy talked about, as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, so God's faithfulness rises and sets on us, always in the faithfulness. And in fact, what we have in the New Testament and reflecting upon the God of faithfulness who is true to his plan for redemption and of his people throughout all the covenants, uh, throughout, throughout the judges, throughout the kings, throughout the prophets, major and minor, God's faithfulness is being demonstrated in his plan of redemption history coming to fulfillment and fruition in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we see the faithfulness to the God's commitment to redemption and renewal. And then reflecting upon Jesus, uh, we have, we have uh, Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, basically he says, and I'm not going to pull up the verse here, just says, God cannot not be faithful. I mean, just we can be faithless, but God has to be true to God's self and God will always, always, always be faithful. Amen, friends? This is the assurance. This is the foundation. This is what we stand on in our faith. Let's talk then for just a moment. Because of God's faithfulness, we have a saving faith. Because of God's faithfulness, we then have a saving faith that comes to us by the gift of God. Uh, I was talking to Ricardo recently, and we were looking at some of the ink on his arm. And our, I, I'm going to call you out on this because I want to see this happen. Ricardo has a plan to get another tattoo of the five solas, right? Is this still going to happen? You're the coolest guy in the world. Someday I'm going to be rock out on a guitar like you. So he's going to get the five solas tattooed on his arm. Does anybody here know what the five solas are? All right, we're going to talk to you for just a moment about the five sort of foundations of the faith that were um, kind of built up during the 15th century as the church was going through its own renewal and reformation. And they talked about, well, let's understand that we need to build our lives on the scriptures alone. We need to always go back to the foundation of the authority of God's word. And in the authority of God's word, we understand that we are saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. And the reason we are saved by faith alone is because God has earned for us salvation by grace alone. And that grace alone that saves us through faith comes to us by Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this is all to the glory of God alone. I'm going to get that tattoo with you. Let's just commit. Let's just go this week. Let's, let's, Jay, you got to do the ink for us. It's just going to have to happen. It's going to be, I mean, how cool is that? But this is the foundation of our saving faith. The word of God assures us we are saved by faith through grace because of Jesus Christ and his atoning death on the sacrifice and all of this to the glory of God alone. And it's out of gratitude, receiving this gift, knowing we have this grace, knowing that we are saved by this faith, that we can live lives in response faithfully to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we have a faithful God, we have this saving faith, and then of course we are invited to put this faith into action. That is what the whole book of James is all about. I read through that a little bit this week, and I was like, I don't even know which one verse to put, because beautifully, like the whole letter to James is like, just get your faith in action now. Put your faith in motion. Get it doing stuff. See what God can do with these offerings of faithfulness. And that is now the invitation of us as the people of God, that this fruit of the spirit of faithfulness, that we put it into action in our lives. So we are called to be a faithful people. We are called to faithfully raise our children in this faith. We faithfully teach them to worship God and God alone. 
we faithfully teach them to make no idols, put nothing before them and God. As good as the gifts of this world are, put nothing before you and God. Worship God alone. Remember a Sabbath day, come and worship him and find rest in him. Honor God's name and how you speak and how you conduct your lives. May it demonstrate faithfulness to God. Show your faithfulness by honoring your parents as your parents seek to honor God. Show faithfulness by, of course, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting. Teach the faithfulness to our rising generation of children. Amen, friends? We seek to be faithful raising our kids. We seek to be faithful in our singleness, trusting that God has a call and a plan in our lives. Some of us will be like the apostle uh, uh, Paul, and he will call us to singleness and service to God and God alone through all our lives. Others of us will be called to be faithful in the context of the covenant of marriage, and we demonstrate faithfulness in both of those callings to God. We demonstrate faithfulness if he gifts us with children to faithfully raise and nurture and care for those kids as he calls us to do. We're called to be faithful as the church, proclaiming the gospel, sharing the good news, loving our neighbors as God has loved us. This is how we live into and demonstrate the faithfulness of God. And I think this is all, now, let me say this as, I, as I'm about to say this. I say this a lot of Sundays and I'm well aware of that. This is the most important thing I'm like ever going to say, but at least you can have some sympathy for the pastor. He gets excited every week about the word of God because being immersed and enmeshed in the faithfulness of God this week, it just becomes so highlighted. Our world needs the witness of our faithfulness. Oh, how our world needs the witness of our faithfulness because we have a world that is losing faith. But the world still longs for faith, right? I mean, just reflect on it a bit this week. We have a world that is obviously losing faith in so many ways. We know the stats. Engagement, participation, giving, membership. It's all been going down. And we can talk about that. We can pray about that. We can, we can, we can be lost in that, of course. It's very obvious. The stats play out. We have a world that's waning in faithfulness. But at the same time, we know we have a world that's longing and looking for faithfulness and what faithfulness lived out and it makes a difference, what it actually looks like. Because by all other measures, people's interest in spirituality is on the rise. We have to become the intersection of faithfulness that invites people to live out faithfulness in the context of church and community. Amen, friends? That's what we've always been called to do. We continue to live it out and grow in our witness of God's faithfulness and our faithfulness in return to God. Um, I'm going to end with this. going to drive it home with this point. I, I've really enjoyed a series called Ted Lasso. I cannot recommend it carte blanche because it's a bit crass and vulgar at a few points, but it makes some excellent life lessons and uh, some things for me to reflect on. Well, in the very first episode, the main character, Ted Lasso, is he goes off to coach a UK football team, what we would call soccer, of course, and he's an American football coach going to coach UK football, which is soccer. Anyways, he gets there. It's the traditional fish-out-of-water story. But in the opening uh, episode, first season, he gets this piece of paper, yellow piece of paper with this big blue marker, and if you know it, you know what's going to happen. He writes the word, believe on there and slaps it up on the wall. And it becomes this metaphor that runs throughout the series, all three seasons, actually. He is inviting them to 
believe in something beyond themselves. Now, of course, we could do like a whole deep dive into the etymology of believe and faith, but let's just say this as a people of faith. These words are used quite interchangeably in our scriptures, but what we actually have that is new from the scriptures that's become so much a part of our vernacular is how the apostle um, uh, John is the one who first puts, uh, puts it out there. He says, believe in. Is actually sort of a new way of phrasing in the Greek. And again, I won't bore you with the nerd stuff on it. But he is saying, I want you to believe in, put your faith in, put your trust in Jesus Christ. Hey, that's so cool. Somebody did that on the fly. We got a, we got a pretty sharp team up there. Um, so he's inviting them to believe in something beyond themselves. Now, I'm not going to criticize Ted Lasso because I've never written a series or, or a sermon that has been viewed by millions and beloved by millions. So I, I humbly recognize my position in life. <laughs> that said, I do have some, a, 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 we'll just call it a little, a, little, a little tweak I would love to see in the Ted Lasso story. Because by the time we get to the last episode of the first season, the people are, the, the, the team is losing faith. And he invites them to believe in believe. Which is cute and clever. Believe in believe. Have faith in the faith. And, and I kind of wanted the speech to go more like, believe in yourselves, believe in the team, believe in what God has called. I kind of wanted it to go that way, but again, who am I to criticize? I'm the nobody. But, but he kind of gave this believe in believe. Now it sounds good, but is it enough? In the end, it turns out actually to not be enough because they do lose the game. But here's where I get past that story and tell you what I want to tell you. We have something so much more than believe and believe. What the scriptures are invited in us over and over again is to believe in Jesus. Believe in God. Believe in the object of your faith. In fact, it says, and the object of your faith is Jesus Christ incarnate. We don't have just some uh, sort of ethereal, um, undefined belief in belief. We have belief in the one who loved us enough to come to us. We have belief in the one who took on our humanity. We have belief in the one who went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. We have belief in the one who died in the grave to pay the price for our sins. We have belief in the one who rose on the third day. We have belief in the one who ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We have belief in the one who has promised to come again. Amen, friends? Amen. I was hoping you'd be a little more excited than that because that is something worth believing in. Believing in the one who's coming again to fulfill all the promises of faith that he's poured out on us. I invite the band to come up. They can lead us into a little bit of worship. And with that, I want to pray that our faith, that our faith as Connections Church, and I'm going to pray for our faith as the church of God throughout all of the Western world and throughout all of God's world, will collectively grow in a faithfulness that can amaze our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because he was amazed by faith. So let's call Jesus' attention to Connections Church. Let's call Jesus' attention to his church. Let's be a people who grow in faith so that Jesus Christ might be amazed and might work wonders. Working miraculous wonders in our midst when he sees our faith in action. Let me pray, friends.
Jesus Christ, I humbly ask for myself as your servant and for us as your people that we might put in action a faith that would amaze you. Let us amaze you with our faith that loves our neighbor. Let us amaze you with our faith that proclaims your gospel. Let us love you with a faith that reaches out to people in our community in need. Let us amaze you with our faith that shares our lives and opens our doors and offers hospitality to all those hurting. Let us amaze you with our faith that gives generously to all who are in need. Let us amaze you with our faith, a faith built upon the foundation that you are the one who is always, always, and ever will be faithful. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.